Hi, and welcome back to Authentically ADHD with me, your host, Carmen. I started this podcast because I am a late diagnosed ADHDer, a teacher, and a certified life coach. And my goal is to help as many people as possible, late diagnosed or not, to understand yourself with your ADHD and try to work with your neurodiverse brain instead of always feeling like you're working against it. So I'm really happy that you're here. I'm so happy that you hit play on this podcast. I know you have so many choices for podcasts and ways to learn about your neurodiversity. So I just wanted to let you know that I'm super thankful for you. And let's get into the content, shall we? So do you find that you have a hard time saying no? Do you identify with people pleasing? Do you have a hard time with people and relationships in your life? For example, do you have a hard time keeping friends? Do you have a hard time in the romantic relationships in your life? How about the relationships with the people that you work with or your family? This is typical in neurodiverse people. Because if you answered yes to any of these, you're in the right place. We are talking safety today. Safe people, relationships, and the boundaries that really come with it. So relationships are difficult when you are neurodivergent for so many reasons. First, our lack of self-awareness affects our awareness of others, their emotions, and their needs. This has to be practiced, completely practiced, and actually consciously practiced. We also struggle with relationships with others because our our relationships with ourselves is just, it's not as strong as it should be. Um, identity and having a relationship with the self is something that we have to do as adults. Yes, neurotypical people develop these things naturally as they grow up, and we do too, but here is, here's part of the problem and, and part of the difference. ADHD, autism, and CPTSD run in families. ADHD is, is scientifically proven to be highly heritable. So there's a pretty big chance that you were raised by one or two neurodivergent parents. And because knowledge of ADHD is super new, and back when I was a kid in the 90s, I mean, ADHD was like something that people looked at and they were like, this is becoming too big of a thing. This is becoming something that is overcoming the United States. It's it's an epidemic type of They were treating it that way, okay? And also, when anybody thought about ADHD in the 90s, their first thought was, I have to put my child on medication. I just wanted to say right here, right now, that even if your child or you suspect that your child has ADHD, medication is usually not the first line of defense if you don't want it to be. The doctor is going to suggest it. The doctor is going to give you all of your options, which should include medication, therapy, and or coaching, because those are the things that help with scaffolding in in ADHD. Now, because they were unaware of neurodivergence in the family, those special little quirks or neurodivergent things in the family are just labeled as personality traits passed down. This 
usually becomes unhealthy because these relationships are usually not safe and or secure. I'm painting with a very, very large brush. I'm very large strokes. Not all neurodiverse people have this experience, but from my research, from my own experience, and in coaching over 100 people with neurodiverse brains, this is most likely your experience. If not fully, you've had some type of trauma or some type of big events happen in and throughout your life that you've taken on and that affect your relationships today. If this isn't your experience, that's okay. Take what you resonate with and leave the rest. You are an autonomous adult. You can choose what you want to believe. You can choose a different episode or you can see which parts you do or don't relation you do or don't resonate with. So, another reason that it's difficult to maintain relationships is because we struggle with working memory out of sight out of mind and we come off offensive we come off selfish Uh, we come off as if we don't care we come off as if maybe we don't listen to the other person but we have a deficient working memory so trying to remember everything about one person is definitely hard, especially because we should have more than one person that we're in relationship with. I want to tell you why relationships are so important. Because did you know that the number one, number one thing that is looked at for success in neurodivergent people is that of connection and community. You can look under Dr. Russell Barkley's research and you'll find it right there word for word. Connection is the key. And that's something that's super important when you struggle with neurodivergence. So there's a pretty big chance that in childhood, a lot of us grew up with connections that were not safe and or secure. And when this happens, we tend to bring some of those issues into adulthood in our own relationships. Before I go on, I am putting a disclaimer in here. I am a coach. I am a teacher. I am not a therapist. So please seek help from a professional if you want to or feel that you need to um, with, you know, help of exploring some of these topics because they do get a little bit triggering. Trigger warning. There's a little bit of narcissism that we will talk about. We will talk about um, ways that people can be unsafe, maybe ways that, that you may have been treated and um, ways that you reacted to those things, which also can be triggering. So there is your trigger warning. Now that that is out of the way, so of course, the most important relationship is the one that you have with yourself. And I know I do have an entire episode about relational needs and meeting them because we don't meet our own relational needs. And when we don't meet our own relational needs, we end up throwing them at other people and make them meet those needs for us. And that's not healthy and it's not fair. The great news about this is that we can change it. We have neuroplasticity. We all have relational needs and you're responsible for meeting those needs. Now, I am not thick-headed here, all right? My head is not in the sand. It's, it's, not going to be like after this episode, you're totally going to know how to navigate relationships. This is deep, hard work that takes years. 
you're going to have a lot of work to do for years. It takes a long time to get to know somebody and label them as safe. I couldn't tell you how many times I've made the mistake of labeling somebody as safe before actually knowing if they were safe or not. I, I was just burned by something like this. And um, I've been working on this for two or three years. It just goes to show that I just want you to know that it's it's not just one thing, okay? It's not going to take just one class, just one course, just one podcast. This is a lifelong practice. So now I've been working on these things for two years, like I said, and I'm just starting to see the changes and recognize how I let others treat me and how to create healthy boundaries that keep me safe. I mean, emotionally safe. So right now we're not talking about physical safety. We're talking about emotional and relational safety. So what is that? Put broadly, it's establishing trust over time with someone to feel safe enough to be open and vulnerable with them. This is usually where ADHDers mess up because we end up trauma dumping or being too open or too vulnerable or oversharing with people that may not be safe and we we are too quick to judge them as safe until they show us they are not so it's showing up to be someone as your authentic self and knowing that that person is going to accept you for for yourself and feeling safe enough to know that you're secure in that relationship So how do we know if someone is safe or unsafe? And how do you assess if you are safe or unsafe? First, we take a look at the basic relational needs and understand that each human is responsible for meeting their own needs before we can meet them for others. So I'm going to go over them quickly because like I said, I do have a whole episode on these. So the human relational needs are affection, acceptance, validation, autonomy, security or boundaries, trust, empathy, prioritization, connection, and space. So you need to be giving yourselves these things and meeting these things for yourself before you can effectively meet them in relationship. So an example might be Here's an example of how this looks when it's not safe in in yourself, in your own self. I don't accept me, but I demand that you accept me. Or I refer I refuse to learn or do the work to accept and validate myself. So I go looking for other people to validate me. Now, we don't actually say these things out loud, and sometimes it's not even a conscious thought. But the thought is Enter, it's ingrained and it's believed and this happens and then it causes confusion we end up blaming others saying they are the problem and it's their fault that you feel some type of way harsh truth no one can ever make you feel some type of way your emotions come from your own thoughts and triggers the truth is that we have rational needs relational needs i'm sorry We have rational, relational needs that we need to take responsibility to meet for ourselves. If you don't accept you, validate you, or are affectionate to you, how can someone else be? 
Then, if we let it go on for long enough and we refuse to feel and surf our emotions, which can lead to, lead to feelings of overwhelm, helplessness, aggression, hopelessness, and even states of disassociation. I have experienced all of these things, just for your information. In safe relationships, both people are able to meet their own relational needs and are willing and able to meet the other person's as well. It's like a healthy give and take. That real feeling of safety is characterized by the feelings of belonging and connection. Again, this is deep work. You have to feel that sense of belonging in yourself before you can feel it with someone else. So now when I'm talking about safe people, I'm not only talking about physically safe. Being physically safe is a bit more obvious than being emotionally safe. And sometimes it takes a little longer to assess the safety of a person emotionally after you meet them. So when I'm trying to assess my relationship with a person, I use Brene Brown and Katie Villers' approach. And they are bullshit filters. That's what they're called. And I love that. Some examples of this could be you draw a boundary by making a request. And, that you, and then you set clear expectations. That's a healthy boundary, by the way. Making a request like, I really wouldn't like it if you talked about this certain topic. Um, it, it, really, it really bothers me. That's making a request. Making a boundary is also including clear expectations for what's going to happen after that person crosses the boundary. So saying something like, if you talk about this certain topic, you know, I'm going to stop speaking with you or I will change the subject or I will tell you you've crossed my boundary. If you do it enough, I will, you know, completely, I won't be talking to you because I, I don't like talking about this topic. Um, another way that this can look is, you know, mom, I don't like it when you talk badly about my boyfriend when he's not around. So if you talk badly about my boyfriend when he is not around, I will walk away. That is a clear and healthy boundary. Some examples of a bullshit filter is when somebody does not follow the boundary, they cross the boundary, and then they get angry about the way that you act, even though you told the person what was going to happen. Another bullshit filter is not accepting your no, making you feel guilty about that. Um, being closed-minded and critical in harsh ways. Inability to take productive feedback. A lack of understanding or empathy for your needs and or emotions. And then there are the extremely obvious things such as lying, hurtful actions, and being verbally abusive. To help understanding, I'm going to take you through some traits of safe and unsafe people. So, unsafe people, they don't admit their weaknesses. They're very defensive, and they are self-righteous, and they refuse to see their own negative qualities. They apologize, but they don't change their behavior. So they might say sorry, but they will continue to do that behavior over and over again intentionally. <laughs> 
They will blame others, withhold forgiveness, and avoid facing their own issues, often by pretending they just aren't there. They'll flatter you, but only for their own benefit. They demand trust and act defensive and hurt when you don't just trust them because they demand it. They lie, and they see deception as an effective way to deal with problems. And they do not grow. They have no interest in growing. They instead blame others, respond offensively, and refuse to change because they don't think that they have a problem. They think that they are, you know, fully healed, or they don't think that they had a problem in the first place. Safe people recognize that growing is a lifelong process. They're willing to acknowledge their wrongdoing, apologize with real attempt at behavior change intentionally. They are humble and can admit their flaws. They are able to receive feedback and try their best to grow and learn and improve themselves over time. They admit their deceitful side because we all have one. Deceit, deceitful side is is something that we all have. Just think about a white lie that you maybe have told your grandma, like, I love your, this cake that you make, even though you don't like it because you don't want to hurt her feelings. Granted, that's still lying, but it's a deceitful side we can admit to, and we work towards being more honest. We under, They understand that trust must be earned over time, and it's built over time. And they are, admit, they are willing to admit when they have a problem and take action to solve it. We all have the capacity to be safe and unsafe, but it's how people show up day in and day out. This is a starting point for creating and setting boundaries. Boundaries are for every relationship, including the relationship with yourself. The first boundaries that usually need to take place are internal boundaries. These can sound like, I will stop talking to myself in a mean way. I started this boundary with myself about two years ago, and now anytime I call myself a name, like, oh my god, you moron, I stop, and out loud I say, I am not a moron. Why would I call myself that? Because if you wouldn't call your, if you wouldn't call what you're calling yourself, if you wouldn't call somebody you love that, you shouldn't be calling yourself that. This can also sound like I will stop work at this time because I am worthy of stopping, because I'm done, because it says it's time to stop. And another one could be I will try to go to bed by this time. Now, why do we need these? Because again, you need to meet these needs for yourself before you can meet them for other people. In order to create safe spaces within your life, with yourself, and with other people. Then we can move on to creating boundaries with others. So what is a boundary? First of all, a boundary is for you. It is not to control others' behavior. Okay? A boundary is the line where you end and someone else begins. It's a type of separation. I like to think of it as a bubble or a gate because there's doors. You can let people in and out. Um, and things like this, it lands where our limits are. So it's where your capacity meets someone else's capacity. So this can sound like, Mom, I don't like the way that you talk 
when you talk this way to me. So if you continue to do so, I will walk away. Or coworker, I will not communicate about work after such and such time. If you do decide to reach me at such and such time, I will get back to you during my boundary work hours. So how do we know when to put a boundary in place? How do we know when a boundary needs to be put in place? There's a few, a few little ways to know. When you make a request to someone and it's just disregarded. Example, mom still talks to you in that way. So then you can tell her, I will not participate in this conversation as requested. If you continue, I will walk away. Again, this is not easy to do. This is deep work. Setting boundaries can often bring up guilt or even shame if you are raised without them. You're going to feel guilty. That's okay. We accept that the boundary is what it is, and we deserve to express our autonomy as adults. It is not easy to set boundaries. A few more examples of when to set boundaries are when a person proves to be unsafe, when you feel a ton of resentment towards a person, when you feel that you or someone else has crossed or violated a value that you have, when you feel uncomfortable, when you fear how the other person may react, rejection, We want to be well-liked, and we think a boundary will make a person, will make said person not like you when we are looking to the other person for validation. These are usually signs that you are possibly a people pleaser also, and you are not alone in that, but I want to tell you something that might hurt, because when I learned this about people-pleasing, For my coach, I was a little surprised, but it's true, and it's harsh, and here it is. People-pleasing is actually straight-up manipulation. Think about it. People-pleasing is when you take an action you don't actually like, believe in, or value in order to make someone else like you or think about you in a certain way. It's lying. It's manipulating a relationship. I have an episode on people-pleasing, but a few ways to recognize if you are a people-pleaser is if you are filled with resentment. (laughs) You say yes when you want to say no, you agree to do things that you don't want to do, and you let people cross your boundaries. Anytime you are people-pleasing, you are lying, and that's a harsh, harsh, harsh truth. So I just want to acknowledge that and give space for the fact that that's a super hard thing to recognize. So... This episode has been deep, but I want you to know that we can have successful relationships. You can set boundaries with people, and people are going to cross them. That's just human nature. People are not perfect. People are people. We are not robots. We cannot catalog every single boundary or every single request that somebody makes in a relationship for the first time and then also know what falls under that. For example, complaining um, in a relationship or being too negative. There are times that you may have to say, hey, 
you know, I, I really don't like it when you're super negative and I don't like it when, when you complain. So if you could try to keep that to a minimum, that would be great or else we're not going to be able to be as close of friends as, as we could be. And letting somebody know, reminding them when they cross a boundary of yours, like, hey, you contacted me after, you know, my said working hours, you know, and things like that. But the way that I want to end this episode by saying is that if you want to set safe boundaries, make sure you're making the request and giving the expectation of what will happen when the person crosses the boundary clearly. And make sure you're talking a lot about your emotions and make sure that you are always respecting their their boundaries and make sure that they are respecting yours. Because I have often also found myself in a relationship where I feel that I am respecting someone else's boundaries so much that I have completely forgotten about my own. So... I know this episode was deep and it was a little bit heavy and if you are seeing a therapist and are concerned about any of these things, I urge you to bring this to them. This is one of my favorite resources that I highly recommend. It's the book called Set Boundaries That Find Peace by Nedra Tawab. Again, that is Set Boundaries Find Peace by Nedra Tawab. I have a freebie in the show notes that you can use and if you feel that you want more or different types of support um, I would urge you to sign up for Focused, the program for adults with ADHD and neurodiversity by Kristen Carter. I've been a member for over a year and it's the most transformations I have ever seen in my life. I've grown so much And I couldn't be more grateful for this program. And if you use the link in these show in the show notes in this show, we both save money on the next month that we pay. Win win. Who couldn't use to save on money? Um, Also, I wanted to end this out by saying thank you for your patience. I know it's been a while since I recorded an episode. I got sick with RSV, the lovely, lovely um, things of working with preschoolers, and I still probably sound a little bit nasally, but this is the, actually the first weekend that I have not sounded completely ill. So that's why it's been taking forever for a new episode to come out. Um, this is also a heavy one, so I wanted to make sure that I had all of my ducks in a row and my facts straight. So... I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You know that I always love to hear what you think about it. So please connect with me and we will talk soon. Stay authentic, my friends.